Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This 24-part series on interpreting the book of Revelation was given at Tungling Bible College in Singapore back in 2002. Be sure to get a copy of the textbook by the same title, available from Amazon in your region in paperback and ebook formats, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Uh, let's turn to uh, page 11 again just for a few moments. Uh, and uh, let's uh, just turn to Revelation chapter 13. So on your uh, outline that we're just uh, uh, working through briefly, page 11. And then I'd like you just to uh, just take a few more moments on chapter 13. We need to keep moving, but uh, just uh, a few other thoughts I need to finish. Okay, so Revelation chapter 13. So uh, did everybody get that sheet yesterday of the image and the world kingdoms? All right, so uh, that's all we can pretty well do on the first uh, piece, which basically I believe is the last world kingdom that's going to be manifest before and unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look over church history, uh, we've seen Egypt has fallen, Assyria has fallen, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome uh, was the kingdom in, uh, in, in uh, John's time. And then uh, the Lord said to John, uh, one is, referring to Rome, and one is yet to come. And that one yet to come was the Antichrist kingdom, the one world kingdom, one world government, everything that's uh, shaping up and the... Uh, powers that be, and then uh, we haven't got time to touch on the ten horns, but it is interesting that the powers that be, whoever they are, uh, are trying to divide the world itself up into uh, ten regions, all those things, all shadows, and I think, as I said yesterday, uh, we are further into the book of Revelation with events just all shaping up, and uh, I'm, glad God, uh, God, uh, I'm glad that God has his finger on the pulse of everything, and everything's under his control, and we can say amen on that. Alright, uh, so the seven heads represent seven world kingdoms, all on the beast that, so where Daniel saw four world kingdoms in successive stages, John is actually seeing the embodiment of all world kingdoms that have gone before embodied in one beast, one world kingdom, one world government, and everything like that, which uh, is spoken of as the Antichrist of the beast system. And I think it includes a system of man and uh, uh, just the whole world system. And then ten horns, you know, some talk about the ten uh, nations that they've been trying to get in the United States of Europe uh, and so forth. So all these tens are shadows of it, but I, I think ultimately it'd be like ten uh, regions of the world and so forth. Now, so, so much on that. Now let's go to Revelation 13. And just for a few thoughts here, in verse 11... And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, just reminding us of all that you've had this week. Uh, in the mighty age of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 10, he put his foot on the sea, and then he put his foot on the earth. And so, here we see the, the beast system, the first beast, the Antichrist system coming up out of the sea. Here we see this other beast, who's uh, specifically designated uh, coming up out of the earth. And uh, he's spoken of as the false prophet. So it's a religious thing. So if the first one is more political, this is more religious. But the two of them working together. And uh, so we're told in verse 11, Another beast coming up out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb, uh, and spake like a dragon. So you can tell him by his accent. Um, yeah. The, the way he spoke. Not me, of course. <laughs> and uh, then so he's, he works with and for and on behalf of the, uh, the first beast, they're working together. As, uh, 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 and we sort of, you know, it's very hard for us in our little finite minds to uh, constantly ask the Lord to help me. In, in Revelation chapter 2, we've got two witnesses. So Moses and Elijah, we believe. And here we have two ministries working together, the Antichrist and the beast. So it's like God's two witnesses against uh, uh, satanic two witnesses. Then uh, in verse 14 we see he performs false miracles, deceptive miracles. And then going down to verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehand. No man might buy or sell, uh, but he that had the mark or the name of the beast in the, in the, or the number of his name. You note the three designations there, the mark, the name, the number. So the mark, the name, the number. And wisdom is, uh, he that has understanding, uh, let him uh, count the number of the beasts, and it works out 666. Now, uh, there's many, many shadows of this thing, and I just want to touch on a, a couple of them here. But uh, say, for, uh, for instance, in the book of Daniel, uh, in the, uh, 
uh, uh, the dream that uh, it's interesting. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He never gave a Gentile a vision. He gave Daniel a vision and a dream, but always dreams to Gentile rulers, but visions and dreams to God's people. So the whole of this image was stamped with uh, the number six, pointing to this ultimate that this false prophet sets up an image that all should worship the beast. And the, uh, the image was 60 cubits high, with six cubits wide, and there were six musical instruments uh, uh, that were played uh, when they tried to force everybody to worship. So image worship, uh, we have represented in the uh, three Hebrew children there, believers, overcomers, thrown in the fire, fiery furnace, yet miraculously preserved, not from the furnace, but in the furnace, through the furnace, okay, right here on earth. And so it's a picture of the overcomers, the church, who go through the tribulation fires, but are miraculously preserved. Some will be overcome, some will be overcomers. So, as it was in Daniel, in Babylon, image worship, music, and so forth, and that impression of 666, so it is in the book of Revelation. So, Daniel and, and, uh, and Revelation are sort of twin companions, twin books, where we, we can't understand one without the other. So that's the picture we have there uh, in that uh, thought. And then maybe you'd just like to take down these seven Ds that I referred to yesterday. It's just the same thing here. So just the same thing. Just maybe uh, you'd like to take down the seven Ds. That as you look at the progression of world kingdoms from the gold to the silver to the brass or the bronze and to the uh, iron and then to the uh, iron and clay, that mixture, these are like the seven Ds that you see in the image, both in Daniel, because the following chapter in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar didn't set up an image the way God showed him in the, in the dream, because he thought, well, that's a stupid image. That, that image is top-heavy. It's a gold head, but uh, feet are, are, are a mixture of, uh, of iron and clay, and the whole thing is top-heavy. And, and, you know, man is top-heavy. He's having head trouble. Not, not here, of course. Uh, so top-heavy, and so... But, but what God is showing, just from the greatest, the goal system, the goal standard, just that deterioration. So, number one, it was deification of man. Fall down and worship the image, overlaid with gold, and that was deification of man. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar setting himself up as God. And then number two, the second D, deterioration, because the metals we deteriorate from gold to silver to bronze to... Uh, uh, iron and so forth, and uh, down to iron and clay. Then devaluation. Gold is the greatest value, the gold standard, but silver is lesser value. Brass, bronze, lesser value. Iron, lesser value, and so forth. So devaluation and degeneration. Man is, is uh, when he deifies himself, he actually is becoming lower than the beast. Man was, uh, uh, man was created, beasts were created on the sixth day of creation. And man was created on the sixth day of creation. So the number of beasts and the number of man in Genesis uh, chapter 1 is 6. Well, when it comes to the old, in the book of Revelation, it's 666. The man who becomes the beast. But it all began in seed form in the book of generation. Diminuation. So it's diminishing here, as you see the whole thing. Finally, the, uh, the stone out of the mountain, the stone kingdom, the kingdom of God, hits the image on the feet. And the whole image is destroyed. In other words, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and Christ. And all the kingdoms of this world are just disintegrate. Because in the millennial kingdom, the saints, not the sinners, the sinners, but uh, the saints possess the kingdom. Where see, all these kingdoms have been succeeded by another kingdom. But when the kingdom of God is established, it will never be succeeded by another. It's an everlasting kingdom. There's always been kingdom. It's the everlasting kingdom. So that's the uh, picture I have there. That's uh, seven days. I thought uh, you'd enjoy. Now, uh, just a, a few thoughts on this party. A lot of people, you know, uh, uh, they laugh at some of these things. Even some preachers say, say oh, you don't think there's going to be an actual mark on people and all that business. Uh, well, you know, a few years ago, just in, the, in Australia, it was interesting, they tried to bring out, I mean, uh, they had Plan B, so it was all right. But this is what came out in our, our paper in Australia, it was very interesting. When they wanted to introduce the ID card, and uh, on this, you needn't take any of this down, I'm just drawing it to your attention. They actually, they actually put in the paper, they put a whole paper, and they put down 14 things that, that we could not do in Australia unless we accepted the ID card. So we couldn't buy land, 
We couldn't open a bank account. We couldn't sell anything. I've got it all. In fact, I've put full of details of that. So, I mean, they had plan B. It never went through. They have a, had a referendum. But it was all shadows. And this is what was coming out in the paper of the mark and the ID card. Well, I think the latest thing out, and I'm sure you've got plenty of material on it here, which I have, and uh, uh, is the old chip. Uh, you know, not a chip off the old block. In fact, when I uh, got my latest bank card, the bank warned me and said, uh, Mr. Connor, you'll be getting your new uh, bank card in a few, a few uh, weeks' time, and we just want to let you know that uh, in that bank card, which is just for you, you know, appealing to the old ego, it has a chip. So in my card here, it's got a little chip there with all my details, but they've already got them. But so when people laugh about these things, when I went to uh, Disneyland, you know, for some uh, spiritual time with the Lord, <laughs> uh, happy motion in motion, this side of motion, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you go and they stamp you on there, and, and it comes out under the infrared. So you know, it's happening in Hawaii and a different place. So many illustrations on this. So when people say, "Well, it's only spiritual, it's only symbolic," say, "No, it's both." So when you came out, you just put your hand up in the infrared. And then in Hawaii, and uh, I think in Australia, they're putting uh, chips in animals so they can pick up where they are. It's just going on. I mean, we just, uh, you know, many times people laugh at these things. So it's literal, it's symbolic. It's both, so it's both. And uh, uh, I'm sure you have enough information on that. And uh, so that's why I say I think we're further into the book of Revelation than we realize. I believe it's an actual, literal mark. And uh, I, I'm not sure how totally true all of this is. I know some of it is. Uh, several years ago in Australia, they, uh, in Melbourne, um, they, they actually asked people whether they, what would they think about having an identification mark on their hand or on their forehead to say bank robberies and so forth because, you know, they could always chop off your hand if you've got a mark on your head. They'd have to chop off your head. That'd be a little bit more difficult than then put your head over the scanner and uh, deduct your money. And uh, so I saw this on TV, so a number of people said, oh, it doesn't bother me, you know, it might be a good idea, then we won't get uh, marked or robbed or anything like that. Uh, so that, that part was true, I saw that on TV. And then my son Mark, he was working at a, uh, at a, a firm there, and an assembly of God brother told him, so I'd like to verify it more, but this is what he said happened. He said, um, in this experiment they were doing in Melbourne, they had a number of people go through the thing and they put their hand under there and received this mark, or identification mark, and uh, one girl came through and if she put her hand under the machine to receive the mark, it wouldn't take. So the guy said, I'll go down, go down to the end of the line. And then uh, when she came through at the end of the line, it was the last one, they tried again and it wouldn't take. And so the guy said to her, are you a Christian? She said, yes. He said, yeah. Now, I don't know how, but that's what the guy told him. I thought, yeah, when the time comes, because people in America have talked to me about this and they've had preachers come through and say, oh, nothing wrong in taking the mark of the beast. We'll see that in a moment. Uh, yeah, as, long as, you don't, as long as you don't worship the guy, and don't, you don't worship the deep TV image. I mean, worship the image. Yeah, it's all very interesting, image, 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 which can easily be made worldwide. And uh, so I think the Holy Spirit when the actual time comes for this, can warn those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So this is it, don't take it. How many hear what I'm saying? So I, I feel we need to be sensitive to the Spirit without being fanatical. Just have an ear to hear what the Spirit, so that uh, that young Christian, that it wouldn't take on her. So bind it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, don't cut off my head, please. <laughs> so, so I don't need to labor the point, but just to say, that uh, I believe these things are moving very fast. Uh, the whole, uh, when I was in Europe just a few weeks back, the whole Euro dollar, uh, to shake the US almighty dollar, and so forth, just the whole economic, there's so many things happening so fast uh, everywhere that we just need to be sensitive. So I think that's all I need to say on that, that I believe there will be an actual identification mark when it's on the forehead. Uh, some of these guys who are into this, uh, not us religious fanatics here, uh, they say the, the best place is on the forehead or on the hand because of the heat of the body. And so there's lots of information where, uh, on that. So just before I left America, I was in the U.S. for 10 years. Uh, I went to uh, Hawaii and also in Portland where I was. And several people came to me and they told me, because they were on the uh, Social Security, they got checks with the number 666 on it. 
and it said, do not cash this check unless the other numbers correspond with this and the 666. So they got scared, at least that these were the leaders of that particularly, and they phoned up the IIS uh, and said, oh, it was only, it was only an experiment. Uh, bring it into the office and we'll change the check and give you another one. So just all shadows of the thing, just uh, testing it out. So, yeah, so I think all these things, is so many events sort of coming to fulfillment here. All right, so that's all I feel I, I can do on the, um, on, uh, on the, uh, on chapter 13. Now, I want you to turn over to chapter 14. Now, uh, th this part that we move into is a very, very serious part. Uh, well, it's all serious to me, but everyone uh, <laughs> would say so. I'm just glad for Jesus. So I just want to finish on that little part there. Now, what I want to do here, let's see where we're up to. I want you to turn over to chapter 14. And uh, on, your, on your notes here, we're going to go to uh, page, uh, page 12. So page 12. And in, in, the, um, in the outline you've got there, you'll notice we're looking at section 7 and the seven personages and it touches heaven and earth. So just going through it here, you've got the Lamb and the 144,000, the angel of the everlasting gospel, another angel, another angel, uh, parenthetical visions between fourth and fifth visions, uh, the exhortation uh, to the saints, the vision of the Son of Man harvest, another angel, another angel, another angel. So you notice the emphasis here in this chapter, particularly leading into Revelation 15 and 16, uh, is on angelic ministry. And I believe here it's referring to uh, actual angels, uh, as we'll see what their message is. So angelic ministry. All right, now, so, yeah. I want you to sort of, before we start uh, looking, uh, looking at this in a little bit more detail, I want you to sort of realize the condition of the world at this time. So remember that uh, yesterday, just to remind you on this, you've already got this, but just to remind you, we're looking at events that are progressive parallelism, in other words, they run, run together parallel, uh, parallel together, uh, at this period of time, the three and a half years, what's going on? So what's going on in the world scene, the world news? Number, uh, Revelation 11, the two witnesses are ministering in Jerusalem, administering plagues and judgment and so forth, and witnessing of the coming Messiah. Revelation 12, the church is uh, being preserved in a wilderness, a place prepared of God. Whether it's a place or a state, God is miraculously preserving the true church. Revelation 13, we've just looked at the, the beast, the Antichrist is rising, the whole political one world government and the false prophet, image worship and worship of the image, the mark of the beast has been established. These are all running concurrently. Now, Revelation 14, in preparation for 15 and 16, the bowls of the wrath of God, which distinctly take place in the three and a half years. So, Revelation 14 uh, is all in this same period of time. So, that's what we've got to keep in mind, okay? Jerusalem over here, that's what's happening there in relation to the church, relation to the one world government, uh, ten horns, the ten world regions, uh, the false prophet, image worship, mark of the beast. All these things are running concurrently in this three and a half years. So in Revelation 14, uh, well, these are the questions I want to put into your mind. When we look at these bowls of wrath, the wrath of God, we think, why would God, who is a God of love, do all these things? You know, why would God do, do this type of thing? And you see, these things, the bowls of the, of the wrath of God, are, are far more severe than the judgments of God. I mean, all judgments of God are severe, but they, this is the ultimate of the wrath of God that's being poured out on mankind. And we say, well, why, why, why? So what I want you to uh, do, and I'll just... Uh, uh, try to scroll it out on the overhead here. I want you to note the condition of the world, generally speaking. Now, you've got the church, you've got Christians who are being martyred all at the same time under the Antichrist system and so forth, but we've got this uh, angelic ministry that's um, preparing for the bowls of the wrath of God, so we've sort of got to see world news. What is the condition of the world in this period of time, particularly this three and a half years? 
All right, so I'd like you to take down a number of things, and then this will sort of uh, hopefully explain what, why is God dealing so severely with mankind, because we've said it several times, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Okay, so let's try and take it down this way. Okay, so number, number one here, world conditions. Sorry, my writing isn't totally brilliant, but at least this is a bit more readable. So world conditions at this time. So what I want you to pick up is here. Before God pours out the bowls of wrath, and why are these bowls of wrath so terrible on mankind? A God who is love and kind and compassionate. What's happening here? I'll tell you what's happening, okay? So in Revelation chapter 14, 15, and 16, these are world conditions. Now we've seen the beginning of it in uh, chapter 9. I've already uh, spoken to you about that. So number one, the world by the world, I remember the church, God's got the church, he's preserving the church. Two witnesses are witnessing to the jury, and maybe some of them being saved, I don't know. They do come under an outpouring of spirit somewhere in the end of the age. So generally speaking, the world is given over to devil worship or demon worship. Chapter 9, verse 20. Number two, the world is also given over to idolatry. Idolatry increasing, it's already in the world, but intensifying. Gold, silver, wood, stone, and so forth, and the almighty dollar. Chapter 9, verse 20. Another worldwide condition, and these are facts, I mean, these things are even going on now. It's just that they're going to intensify, is murders. Ever since the nations that have lifted the death penalty for murder... Murder has just skyrocketed in every nation because God still believes in capital punishment. People say to me, even ministers say, well, Kevin, you don't believe in capital punishment, do you? I mean, God's love. He doesn't. I say, well, people who go to the lake of fire, the murderers go to the lake of fire. Hellfire is eternal capital punishment. Yeah. <coughs> and the Noahic covenant is still in effect. The rainbow is here. God institutes uh, capital punishment under the Noahic covenant. So the nations that have lifted the death penalty, America, England, Australia, and so forth, murder is just increasing. It's just not safe. So chapter 9, 21. Number four, these are conditions in the world. So when people say, oh, well, the world is getting better, we just need to change the environment. So no, you need to repent. Change the environment inside. Sorceries, as we said, the word sorcery, Greek word is pharmacutus. Where, from which you get maker and changer and uses of drugs. At least you had the death penalty here. We just put him in jail and give him a television and a phone and support him with our taxes. And they say, your taxes at work. Thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. Okay. Thefts. Greek word kleptomania. It's costing your country, let alone other countries, billions and billions and billions of dollars. The theft, it's, it's, it's paid in the price. You pay it in the price of everything you buy. Number six, and this is getting worse. You see, these are world conditions. And this is why God pours out his wrath. Blasphemy against God, against Christ, against his name, and against them that dwell in heaven. Well, who's dwelling in heaven? People of God, angels. And you'll notice the emphasis on blasphemy. Now just by way of anticipation, the seventh bowl of wrath is where the people are stoned from heaven. And see, when you go back to Leviticus chapter 24, the law was, if anybody blasphemed the name of God, they would be taken out and stoned. So there's, in the end of the age, there's an increase of blasphemy. So God stones them. And it is interesting that people who are on drugs they stone themselves. <laughs> it's interesting they use that language. They are self-stoned. Oh, he's just absolutely stoned. Yeah, true. And always self-stoned. Yeah, so things are very... That's a biblical term they're using. So the blasphemy is increasing around the world. And you just need to go through your dictionary, Strong's and Corns, and define the word blasphemy. Speaking against God, how they hate God. They hate Christ. They hate Christians. I mean, blasphemy. They hate the blood of Christ. They hate His name. You'll be hated uh, by all nations for my name's sake. Are you a Christian? Blasphemy against these people who dwell in heaven. So, chapter 13, verse 1, 5, 6, 
chapter 16, verse 9, 21. So blasphemy. All right, number six. Another condition at this time. How, how many are starting to see? You need to understand world conditions at this time. Why God pours out these bowls of wrath. Right. Okay, number seven. We have devil or Satan worship. And years ago, I, I touched a little bit uh, on this in the USA, and someone said, oh, Kevin, not in America. We're Christian in America. It'll never happen here. Yet look at the hundreds of Satanist churches that are in the Western world. Uh, we have them in Australia. Satanist worship, devil worship. Chapter 13, verse 4, 8, 12. Chapter 14, 9 to 11. Worshipping the devil. The devil is wanted worship. He wanted Jesus to worship him. That's why he rose up against God, against Christ, against the Word, and uh, took a bunch of angels with him because he wanted worship. He still wants it. So deification, devil worship. All right, number eight, at this time, also, though we've just alluded to uh, uh, briefly, image worship. And see, to worship the image is to worship the one behind the image. And uh, I have no way about saying, you know, what would it be to John as he saw this image? He wouldn't be able to explain uh, TV, television. And yet that is an image, and that's worldwide. It has no problem, just in a flash, it's round. And I think some people are becoming so addicted to television that it's weakening their will. They can't leave it. And, uh, and uh, sorry I have to say this thing. So many ministers in the Western world who are becoming addicted to the, the net, and pornography, it's a plague how many ministers are giving hours and committing immorality through the whole pornography that's on the, uh, on the internet. So just read some of the testimony of the counseling. So image worship, there's a power behind that that people will not be able to resist. God, uh, God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ who is the image of God. That's the only image I worship. Him. Chapter 13, verse 18. I think that's 18, 15. It's in there. All right, number nine. The world is under deception by false miracles. Chapter 13, verse 14. Chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, the devil that deceives the whole world. Satan's first weapon was deception. His last weapon is deception. Number 10. Another thing that's happening at this period of time is martyrdom of Christians. Uh, and uh, we've got many references here. Let's see if I can uh, just put my hand on this. I'm not sure I have it all here. Right, uh, so... Well, that's the condition of the world at the moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, on this area, I thought I had this somewhere, I have somewhere. Uh, number 10, martyrdom of Christians. And you'll find that there are different names uh, used for tribulation saints. So like Revelation chapter 12, 17, the remnant of the woman's seed. So the remnant of the woman that did not make uh, that, uh, that bride of Christ there. And then chapter 30, verse 7, 10 and 15, here is the patience of the saints. What saints? Uh, Antichrist makes war with the saints and overcome them. And then chapter 14, chapter 15, those who stand on the sea of glass, those who have overcome uh, the mark of the beast and not taken the, the mark, the name of the number. And so we have different designations. Other ones that we can add, add from the gospel is the uh, foolish virgins or the man without a wedding garment. You see, those parables are inapplicable of going to heaven. No one's going to get into heaven and say, oh, you haven't got your wedding garment off. Turf him out down the lake, planet Earth. Those parables, in fact, just a seed thought for some of you, all the outer darkness parables are applied to Christians. Never one to a sinner. They're always spoken to believers. That's a very challenging thought. And outer darkness here in this end of the day particularly refers to this period of great tribulation. All right, number 11 at this time, the world is receiving the mark of the beast, 666. Uh, and we have these numbers, the mark, the name, the number. Some literal identification that uh, you're a beast worshipper. That's the picture that we've got here. And anybody who doesn't, it's, uh, it's under pain of death, the death penalty. All right, now, here's the sort of climax of what's happening here at this time. 
no repentance. Now, I went through just the word repent as a theme in the, in the book of Revelation. And the word repent is used to the churches. Chapter 2, verse 5, 5, 16, 21, 22, chapter 3, verse 3 and 19. Call to repent. But once we get to a certain stage here, uh, this expression, they repented not, they repented not, is used one, two, three, four times. Someone in the church back here repented not. I gave her space to repent or time to repent. And it's, it's, it's like this where God uses that expression uh, to the church. It's a good expression. God gave her, this is uh, Old King James says, I gave her time to repent or literally space to repent. Time or space. And so, you know, even in applying the gospel, sometimes I use this at a funeral service to tell the truth. I say, all of us enter life by two gates. We enter by the gate of birth. And then God gives to everybody a space of time. We don't know how long we're going to live, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, whatever. We don't know. And in that period of time, God calls people to repent. But once they come to the end of that time, that space to repent, and fail to repent, then they leave by the next door, the door of death. That's just the gospel. So gate one, we enter life. Gate two, we leave life by death. What are we going to do in this time that God allots to us? That's the picture. I gave her space, I gave her time to repent, but she repented not. So God has given man space, time to repent, but it ends up in these chapters that they repented not. That's the condition that we've got here. Alright, so I, I thought it would be helpful just to look at those uh, conditions that we've got in the world at this time. Alright, now. Let's go to uh, your notes now. And I want you just to uh, put some of the uh, brief comments on here. As I said, we can only touch on these uh, briefly. So page, page 11 we're moving to, that was all sort of introductory just to the, the uh, setting that we have here. Alright, now you'll notice under number one, a little bit of a running, running commentary here. The first part of the vision, we have a picture of the Lamb and again the 144,000. Alright, now uh, we won't be able to do it any more on that except to say this. Uh, trying to keep in, in, in mind just the whole, the whole scene here. Uh, the the 144,000 with the lamb I mentioned in chapter 7, and here they're repeated again. Now, here's the contrast very briefly, and that is this, that the whole world is we... Uh, let me just uh, quote a little bit here. The whole, the, uh, whole world, like, uh, he says, I... I looked at the Lamb, stood on the Mount Zion. So this is more, we're, we're in Revelation chapter 7. It's an earthly scene relative to the 144,000. Here it's a heavenly scene. Uh, a, a Lamb stood upon Mount Zion. You come unto heavenly Jerusalem, heavenly Mount Zion. So it's a heavenly scene, 144,000 representing the church, uh, uh, actual symbolic, having his Father's name, and many of the other translations say have his name, so the name of the Father, the name of the Son, we're saved to have the name of the Holy Spirit written in their foreheads. Now, what's the contrast? Because in chapter 13, uh, all those who worship the beast, they receive a mark in their hand or in their forehead. So in contrast to those who have this mark in their forehead, uh, worshiping the Antichrist, here's a picture of the church, uh, representing the 144,000 who have the Father's name, the name of the Son, in their forehead. So not the name of the Antichrist, but the name of the Father and of the true Christ. That's the contrast. And uh, the contrast of these, these uh, are pure, they're not defiled with women, they're virgins, they follow the Lamb, they were redeemed from among men, uh, the first fruits under God, no God. This is all in contrast to the deception that's going on in the world. So you've sort of got the world condition like that we've looked at, and here the Lamb and the uh, 144,000 representing the church. Now, let's go through the message of the angels. Remember, we're coming to chapter 15 and 16, and the outpouring of the wrath of God, the vials of wrath, but here we have angelic ministry. And as I understand this, 
Every one of these things is a heavenly situation relative to earth. Okay, so number one, or number two it is now, let's look at the first angel's message. So the message of the first angel is what? The emphasis here, and you can just take down the little uh, brief statement I've got there. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Now, please let me make a comment about this gospel. In the, uh, in the uh, New Testament, it speaks about the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, it's not that there's a lot of different gospels. Uh, there's only one gospel it's spoken of as the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the kingdom, and so forth. Here, it's spoken of as the everlasting gospel. And note the content of the language of this gospel. We say, uh, it's not, not totally true to say, oh, the gospel simply means good news. It's good news to those who believe it. It's bad news to those who reject it. And see, the gospel here, the everlasting gospel, has to do with a major word I want you to pick up. Preach the air, fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So, so serious are conditions on earth here that this angel, in fact, uh, if I remember correctly, no, I don't remember correctly. Uh, but the, the, the situation is so serious here that this messenger is flying in the midst of heaven because of the condition of the world here. And what's his message? Saying with a loud voice, fear God. Don't fear the Antichrist. Don't fear the false prophet. Fear God. And give glory to him. Don't give glory to the Antichrist or the false prophet. Give glory to him. Why? And here is the gospel, the everlasting gospel. The hour of his judgment is come. That's it. So these three and a half years are a period of judgment. The bowls of wrath are judgment. When your judgment, you can put it down again, Isaiah 26, verse 8 and 9, or 9 and 10. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. But let, them, let grace be shown, they will not learn. So the message here in this gospel, the everlasting gospel, is judgment. In other words, God must judge sin. He must judge sin in Lucifer and the angels. He must just judge sin in mankind. He must judge sin because His holiness and His righteousness have to be upheld. So sin must be judged. And so if they don't accept that sin was judged in Jesus Christ for them, then they will be judged in sin. That's, that's the message. And worship Him. So you know the, the message here. Fear God. Give glory to Him, our of His judgment, and worship Him that made heaven, earth, the sea, the fountains of the waters. All these things have been judged. Signs in the heavens, signs in the earth, uh, judgments on the seas, uh, seas turn to blood, fountains of waters, waters turn to blood, all these. Okay, that's that message. And flying in the midst of heaven, I think things are so dangerous on earth. The two witnesses in Jerusalem, church is being preserved. And uh, martyrs are being slain. Everybody's being uh, forced to take the mark of the beast, give up being a Christian or die. Martyrdom, all that. We've got to you know, sort of keep all that con con world condition before us. All right, verse 8, the next angel. What's the next angel's message? You'll notice the next angel's message concerns Babylon. So what does he say? And they're following another angel saying, another messenger... And you can put it on your notes there. Uh, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, double fall, fallen naturally, fallen spiritually. That great city, because she's made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And see, this is anticipatory because in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is dealt with in judgment. Revelation 17, the woman Babylon. Revelation 18, the city Babylon. One is religious, one is uh, commercial, political. So this is all anticipatory. So as I would understand, this is all taking place at the beginning of the three and a half years. Okay, don't worship the Antichrist. Don't worship the image. Don't take the mark of it. Fear God. You're better to die than do that. Okay, warning. Second warning. Babylon is fallen. Babylon's going to be judged in Revelation 17, Revelation 18. Babylon's going to be judged. So this is all sort of anticipatory. Okay, that's the message of the next angel. Then, in verse 9, the third angel followed. Now, pl please listen to this in the light of, uh, of what I've said about the, um, uh, about the world conditions. This third angel has the most devastating message. And it shows 
It just confirms what I've been saying, that this is all taking place in the beginning or during the three and a half years. I'd say early in the beginning. And, and, and as I read the language, for me, of all the total scriptures, this is the worst, the worst, the very worst scripture in the total Bible that I could ever read. Listen to the frightening language. And it's just good, healthy fear. So the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast or his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, so you can see how it relates to chapter 13, world, so you've got to receive the mark, the number, the name, somehow the identification of the image of the beast. See, back, back in Roman time, when John was here, in Roman time, the emperors, many of the emperors on emperor worship, uh, even Christians, uh, as long as, uh, uh, see, it's like what we're going through today. Rome, Rome was very syncretistic. So with Rome, you could worship as many gods you like. So they had the pantheism, they had so many gods, and they said you could all worship your different gods. There's one god you must worship. You must say Caesar is Lord. And that is the uniting thing, or was the uniting thing in the Roman Empire. As long as everybody said Caesar is Lord, and recognize him as the God above all gods, then everybody could have their own gods. So in the Asian cities and so forth, uh, they all had their different gods, the Greek gods, pantheon, the pantheism, uh, I mean, every god, as long as you call Caesar. And the reason the Christians were slaughtered was they would not say Caesar is Lord. They said Jesus is Lord. And that was their sin. Not that they worshiped Jesus Christ, but they said Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That was the issue. So was, and today we're living in a syncretistic age, as long as we worship, you know, everybody, all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God, we can all have the God of our own choice, as long as we have some uh, uniting factor up here, and here will be the Antichrist. And uh, you've probably seen pictures, you know, where, where they're just begging this Christian, all you have to do is just take a pinch of the incense. And put it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. You can still be a Christian. You can still serve your God, Jesus Christ, as long as you admit Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't do it. That was it. That's what's going to happen here. Now, so serious is this sin. And let me make a statement here. It's well worth taking down. You have to think of I believe taking the mark of the beast in this period of time. You've got to remember it's in this period of time. Taking the mark of the beast is the unpardonable sin. Now let me, oh, I haven't finished reading yet. Strong statement of the unpardonable sin. So let me continue reading at this time. Because where's the Holy Spirit? Remember I drew to your attention the other day, chapter 13, verse 9, if any man have an ear, let him hear. No mention of the Holy Spirit at this time. No mention of the church at this time. Now it raises the question, well, why? Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the church at this time? It's just saying the saints, you know, he that leads into captivity will go into captivity. You're going to be killed with a sword, be killed with a sword. He's the patience and faith of the saints. It's better to die, a martyr, than worship the beast. That's the thing. Holy Spirit's missing, church is missing. Whatever, whatever it means. Okay, let me continue. So the third angel's message is the worst message of all. So the third angel followed saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast... And uh, where's this angel? Undoubtedly flying through heaven. And his image, and we see his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Listen to the, it's the most horrible verses of the total Bible me. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now you see, earlier in the book, and I've gone through every reference in Revelation of the wrath of God. Earlier in the book, under the sixth seal, which was again anticipatory of the seven trumpets of judgment, and then finally the bowls of wrath, they're saying, Oh, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who's going to be able to stand? So all anticipatory. And you see, before that, it's the blood of the Lamb, but you see, that, 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 that's the tough part of the gospel. If people reject the blood of the Lamb, the only alternative is the wrath of the Lamb. It's the other side of Jesus that we don't talk about. So we reject the blood of the Lamb. What's left? The blood of the Lamb. So, language. They, the same shall drink, uh, drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. In other words, it's not diluted. 
and made palatable and easy to drink. Oh, that's too strong. The wine is too strong. I'll just put some water into the wine, make it palatable, make it easy for you to drink. No, none of that. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup. So you, re you refuse the Lord's cup at the table of the Lord, the cup of blessing which we bless. So you're going to drink of the cup of His indignation. God is indignant. Why? Because of the world conditions that we've just looked at. And He shall be tormented. I mean, this is from the God of love. This is not Kevin Connor. That's why I said these are the worst words. Tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels oh, and in the presence of Lamb. I mean, what, what, what does that mean? So somewhere, these people who take the mark of the beast, that's why I said it's the unpardonable sin. Don't do it. Don't take the mark of the beast. If you do, this is what's going to happen. You're going to drink the wine of the wrath of God. Just strong drink. Nothing palatable. And you'll be tormented in the presence of the angels. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, my mind can't fully imagine, but none of us can. Can we imagine? Here they are in the lake of fire and brimstone, because that's what we're referring to, unpardonable sin. There's the angels up there. Oh, there's the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb I rejected. That's the, that's the torment of hell. And you see, the rich man of Lazarus, the rich man in Hades, he tasted that. He saw La uh, Abraham. Abraham, please, Father Abraham, send somebody. Send some angels. Send Lazarus. Send anybody. Tell my brothers, if I've got to suffer this, save my brothers. He became a missionary too late. That's it. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and the image and whoever receives the mark of his name. How many can see why I said it's the unpardonable sin? Ask a question. Yes. Let me see. Because that's it. So, so serious is this mark in this period of time, God sends his angelic ministry. Warn the world. Judgment is coming. Babylon's going to fall. Babylon is falling. Don't take the mark. If you do, here's the, here's the penalty. Wow. And then in the middle of it, verse 12, is the patience or the endurance of the saints that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. It's better to die, Christians, than take the mark of the beast. Better to be tormented by the Antichrist and the false prophet than tormented in the lake of fire. Better to be a martyr. That's it. So there must be some saints around this time that they're encouraged. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the Spirit. Wow. Holy Spirit now mentioned here. That they may rest from their labors and their works to follow. Warning. Alright, let's go. How many hear what I'm saying here? So that's tremendous angelic message. Now, let's go down to the next part here. In the next part here, we have the Son of Man. It is harvest time. And uh, so, so as you look at the, 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 the picture here, I looked and behold a white cloud. So here we have this cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud. And upon the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. So no mistaking, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Man has a golden crown. And in his hand is a sharp sickle. All right, so that's the picture. Now, the next angel comes and says to the Lord Jesus, uh, you'll see why in a moment, I have to finish this section, the next angel says, reap. And this first harvest, I haven't got time to explain fully, but the first harvest is the harvest of the saints. Tribulation saints, the saints who die in this time, it's the harvest of the saints, chapter 14, 15. Then, well, let's go down, down here. The next angel comes out with a sickle, and we're told there another angel came out from the temple in heaven. So it's a heavenly scene. John is seeing this angelic ministry in relation to the temple, Son of Man, who's also the Lamb and the church. And this is what's going on in the earth. Warning is going through, throughout the earth. Another angel came with another sickle and said, uh, Reap. It's time to reap. And this time, it's not reap the harvest of the earth, as in verse 15. The language is a little bit different, and I'll tell you why. 
Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. This is the harvest of the sinners, the harvest of the wicked. The first harvest is the harvest of the saints, the believers. Gather the wheat into my barn. Gather the tares into bundles. And to prove that this second harvest is of the wicked, the angel thrust in the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So just as the grapes were cast into the the, uh, the vats there, and they would tread upon the grapes and tread out the blood of the grapes. This is exactly what's happening here. Harvest time. So the, uh, the end of the age is the harvest. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the winepress, even though the horses bridled by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Okay, now let's sort of wrap this up before we take a break. Now as you go down to the, the bottom here, so, uh, uh, are you with me? Are you thinking along with me? Yes. So, angelic ministry is a heavenly scene, but the time element is in this three and a half years. We've got to, see, so when people say, oh, well, three and a half years, we don't believe in that, this is all. But no, no, no. The, the, the three and a half years, 70 week prophecy is the key to understanding these chapters. So, at the end, just put down these scriptures here. At the end here, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30, with verse 36 to 43, Jesus gives the parable <clears throat> of the wheat and the tares. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing that Jesus says. He says, uh, let the wheat and the tares grow together until the end of the age. The harvest is the end of the age. Then he says, in the end of the age, the angels will gather the wheat and the tares and do the harvesting. Here are the angels in connection with the Son of Man, harvesting the saints, harvesting the sinners. Separation, mixture, the age of mixture. We're coming to the age of separation. Chapter 13 of Matthew, seven kingdom parables, verse 47 to 49. We have another parable with the same truth, cast in the net. The drag net, it actually is, in the Greek. <clears throat> and the, uh, the net gathered the fish, good and bad, mixture. And in the end of the age, the angels will bring in the net, separate the good fish from the bad fish. Fish, good fish would be with the Lord, bad fish in the lake of fire. They will be burned in the fire. End of the age. So what is happening in this chapter is it's harvest time, harvest of the saints, or the, the wheat, or the good fish, harvest of the wicked, the bad fish, the tares, or those who worship the image. The Son of Man is leading the house and the angels working with him. That's the picture we have. Can you see that? That's the scene that we've got. The most solemn chapter in the book of Revelation. Most solemn warning. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.